Father God, as we move into hearing your word and studying your word, God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive it as beautiful and as good news. God, thank you that you have equipped us for every good work. Thank you that you have equipped us to be in this moment here in this community. And you've set us here to declare your glory to a lost and hurting world, to demonstrate your worth, to demonstrate your goodness and your kindness and your mercy, and to communicate that so that all would know that you are God and that you are good and that all would know that in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone may we find redemption and hope and the fulfillment of everything that we truly desire. God, I pray that we would be able to kind of zero in and receive your word with thanksgiving and gladness this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, starting in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul pivots here and is transitioning that he, as as we've been reminded that Paul is writing to this church that he's never met in person, but he loves dearly. He's thankful for their faith. He, He praises God for their faith. He then prays for them to continue bearing fruit and growing in wisdom. And he, he, he talks to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he does this beautiful hymn and goes, turns to this hymn singing about how great Jesus is. How he's before all things. All things are created in him and, and by him and through him and for him. And he, he praises him. He says, now this, this gospel that, that we have been proclaiming to you, this is what I am a minister of. You may or may not know that we have a, we have a podcast Uh, We've been doing a podcast. We were doing two a week, and now we're doing one a week where we just kind of flesh out some more of these issues and questions that come up. And last week we had the question of, okay, so Paul says he's a minister of this. Is that some kind of special title, or is that something that we're all called to do? And I said that we would would answer that this week, and, and we will. The word here that Paul talks about, and he talks about this is this gospel that I'm talking about, I am a minister of it. And then in verse 25, he says, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And so Paul's talking to them about why he's laboring for them, like the work that he's doing. And this word that he uses for, for minister is simply, it's the same word that we use for servant. It's the same word that Paul actually uses when he's writing to the Ephesians 
when he says this in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a very parallel passage here, but he's saying, okay, yes, there are times where Paul says, I am an apostle. There are times where Paul sets himself apart and says, I've been given this word to give to you. This is a a special position that he has been entrusted with. And then there are times where he says to the people, be like me, imitate me, imitate me in my service and my ministry to others. And this is one of those times he's saying, God has given these special giftings and and these people with these, with these abilities and gifts. And the reason he's given them to is to equip, equip all of the saints for the work of ministry. It's important because what Paul says about his ministry in this context, in this passage is also true for us in our ministry, in our context. It would be a mistake to read this passage and say, well, that's Paul. That's what Paul would do. I mean, Paul was an apostle. So yeah, I don't have to do, you know, that's not for everybody. That's just for people who are specially called like Paul was specially called. No. The words that he is using for this, for ministry, servant, diaconus, he is saying all the saints He's saying, this is why I work. I work and toil so that you would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And he tells them what ministry is like. And you might say, well, I'm not in ministry. And I would say, if according to Paul, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's the term saint, if you belong to him, if you are of Christ, then yes, you are in ministry. And what Christ has done in Paul, Paul continues in us so that we would continue in others. And so he's going to outline here the environment that ministry takes place in, which is suffering. He's going to talk about the the work of ministry, which is making this mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ known. And he's going to talk about the goal of the ministry, which is to present everyone mature in Christ. So he starts out by saying, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. I mean, you can barely, like, you can't throw anything and not hit Paul talking about suffering, right? Like, he's just constant. This is the environment in which he is ministering in. That he is, and he's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings. But he says something really interesting here that often trips people up. He says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And that's kind of a strange phrase. And it's been debated a lot and, and discussed over and over again. But in short, what Paul is talking about here is not that somehow Christ's work was deficient. Not that somehow Christ got us like three quarters of the way down the field and now you have to suffer to make up the rest of it. That's not, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it's a continuation of and a fulfillment of. 
When he's saying, I'm filling up the lack, he's saying, I'm, I'm continuing and fulfilling what Christ said would happen. Like Christ's ministry and, and his words, as he said, this is what's going to happen. This is how this is going to spread. I'm filling that up and making that tangible. I'm, I'm fulfilling those things. Christ's afflictions accomplished everything they were meant to. Our redemption, our, the imputing of our righteousness, our deliverance from sin and death. And now God's plan moves forward. And so Paul is saying that that's my, my sufferings are doing that. They're, they're for you. They're for your sake. You can see that, that Christ's ministry is real, that he, is, that he was true, that he, that he spoke truth. And he rejoices in that because he knows that it's building up the church. It's the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. Think about Acts 9. Said to Ananias about Paul, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Again, he's not saying, I'm going to pay Paul back. He did all these horrible things and now he's going to suffer for it. He's saying, I'm going to show him what this ministry looks like and how much suffering is going to be required for this, the work of this ministry. And by the way, he says it about us too. In John 15, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they, did not, they do not know him who sent me. Why does Jesus say things like this? Why does Paul say things like this to the church? Why would Paul, in wanting to encourage them to do the work of the ministry, say, you're going to suffer? Look at how much, look, I've been doing all this ministry and look at how I'm suffering. Why would he do that? Wouldn't it make more sense to just highlight the positives? And just talk about like all the good things that happen? Well, Jesus tells us why he tells us this. It's so we wouldn't be discouraged. He says in John 16, I have said all these things to you. So this is a continuation of this speech. He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Well, forgive me, but that seems like a terrible strategy. That doesn't seem very encouraging. He says, I'm telling you all of this to keep you from falling away. I mean, imagine taking your kid to school for their very first day of school at a new school or a new building. Imagine pulling up to the front of the school and saying, hey, son, just remember, everyone in that building hates me. And because they hate me, they know you're my son, so they're going to hate you too. And they're going to do terrible things to you. I'm just, I'm just telling you this to encourage you. Have a good day. Sounds awful. Unless it's true and it's worth it. 
See, part of the reason why it's wonderful is what he said, so that you would remember I told this to you, that you'd remember and that you would know that I speak the truth. And if he tells you the truth about these hard things, how much more can you trust him with the wonderful promises he gives us? Imagine Paul hearing these words, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering sacrifice to God or offering service to God. Imagine Paul hearing that. Paul was on both sides of that prophecy. You ever think about that? Can you imagine being in that situation? He was the person who approved of the killing, thinking he was offering service to God. And now he is the one who is being persecuted by people who think they are offering service to God. And I believe this is what Paul is pointing back to. His suffering fulfills what Christ said would happen to him. So that when he's suffering, when he's being persecuted, he's, in, he's just encouraged and built up because he's saying, Jesus, you said this was going to happen. This is what you said. And if what you said about this is true, how much more can I believe you that you are preparing a place for us? How much more can we trust the beautiful truth that you loved us before the foundations of the earth? That you came not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through you. See, Jesus prepares Paul for what is to come so he is not surprised and so that he would know that he speaks truth. So it's no wonder that when we tell people, when we try to craft the gospel or the word of God to just say, oh, you know what, let's just, I just, man, let's not talk about the sin stuff. Let's not talk about any of that. Let's just talk about like all the happy things that happen. Like come to Jesus, your marriage will automatically get better. You'll start being successful in your job. Everybody will think you're great. Your finances will grow. And then what happens when discouragement hits? When hard times hit, I've seen it happen way too frequently. I mean, imagine recruiting someone to be a firefighter and saying, hey, come be a firefighter. You get to drive a fire truck through parades. You get to toss candy out to kids. They look at you like you're a superhero. It's awesome. What's going to happen the first time you rush into a burning building? You're going to be like, uh... Excuse me, does anybody notice it's pretty hot in here? Like, this all looks really dangerous. I'm not really sure that we should be doing this. It doesn't seem very safe. The reason it's encouraging, the reason he says that is so that when you go into that building, you won't be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. If you aren't caught off guard, you won't be shaken. So let me tell you, if you want to follow Paul in this ministry of the gospel, it is going to be hard. You'll have to give your time when you would rather keep it for yourself. You'll give your money when it would be easier to spend it. You'll give your energy when it would be easier to stay at home. you invite people over when it would be easier to not do that. You offer to pray for your server when the Holy Spirit prompts you, when it would be easier to not. You talk about Jesus with your neighbor when it would be easier to talk about work. You'll confront sin in your brother or sister when it would be easier to let it go. It's hard. 
So why do it? Because it's worth it. We have to be able to do this and proclaim this to people because if, if not, if we just present a front of like, hey, come, come to church and some good things will happen. You'll meet some friendly people or whatever. Then we ask people to minister to others and put themselves in hard situations to sacrifice their time and money and energy to pursue the work of the gospel. And they say, wait, what? I was just here for the potlucks and the free childcare. You're talking about all this hard stuff. I, I, that's not my thing. We have to be able to say, because it's worth it. It's worth it because of the wonderful things that Christ promises us. What we get to see, this abundant life, this eternal life, this, this peace that is, is beyond expression, this joy that is, you, you can't even explain it. It's blessing and riches beyond our wildest dreams. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. See what Paul's saying there. He's saying all the stuff that's happening outside of me and all the stuff that's happening to me on the outside, while that's all happening, I'm being renewed inside day by day. Growing in joy, growing in peace, growing in boldness, growing in confidence, growing in love. And he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Why does a firefighter run into the burning building? Why does the police officer insert him or herself into a dangerous situation? Why does the soldier run into battle? Because they've determined it's worth it. And if you've ever led someone to Christ, had a front row seat to Christ's transformation of someone, walked a hard road and seen the fruit of it, then you would agree it's worth it. Remember how worthy it is. Remember how worthy Christ is. And if you don't think it's worth it, you'll fall away. Jesus tells us to count the cost. Is it worth it? Is it worth becoming a servant of all? Is it worth it laying down my rights? Is it worth it walking knowingly into suffering for the sake of others? Remember a few weeks ago at Worship in the Park, I said that there are no disciple-making movements in the United States. I could expand that to, to North America. And I got some pushback on that, some questions. And again, we clarified that in, in a podcast. I was able to talk a little bit more about that. But we said that no country produces more theologians, more books, more studies, more famous teachers, more seminaries, more Bible colleges, more Christian schools than the United States. And yet, we don't have a single verifiable disciple-making movement as measured by the things that are happening across the globe in countries where they don't have all those things. And the question always comes up as why. Well, one of the answers is this, because at the end of the day, what we need are not new books, more sermons, more Christian music, 
What we need are a bunch of people indwelled by the Holy Spirit to say, it's worth it. I'm in. Let's go. That's when we see movements of God. The disciples were not fully theologically prepared. If you need any evidence of that, just read through Acts and see their debates with one another. But they stood before Jesus when he said, are you going to leave also? And they said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the only one who's worthy. That's the message of Jesus to Paul. And that is the message Paul then gives to the Colossians and is the message for us today. He rejoices in his suffering because through it, they know that the message of Jesus Christ is true and that it is worth everything. And he talks about this work of the ministry, that he is a steward of this ministry. Look what he says in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So if suffering is the environment, the work is making this mystery known, that we have been given this work and we are stewards of it. And I could go, I, I've got other things in here, but, but I don't have time to go into all of these things. But in short, this mystery he's talking about is just the gospel. Just saying like this mystery has been hidden forever. How is God going to reconcile his children and make them righteous? How in the world will he ever make this people that is stubborn and hard-hearted and constantly turning away? How will he bring them home? Answer through Jesus Christ. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now Paul has been given this gift the power of the gospel on display to them through his suffering and in the power of Christ and Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what he is a steward of for the church in Colossae. And this is what we have been stewarded with. Look at what he says. Suffering to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for you, a steward of the word given by God for you, making the mystery known to you. And that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what he has revealed to you, he's entrusting us to share with others. We are stewards of this ministry as well. Paul sees himself. He said, I've been given this. What else can I do? I have to live this out. There's no part of Paul that said, oh, I've received this from Jesus. Awesome. Now I get to be in heaven with him forever and ever. I'm just going to go and live my own life. He can't do it. He's compelled because he's been given this gift to give to others. If you are in Christ, you've been given that gift to give to others. You are a steward of this mystery. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, listen to this. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, so if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See what he's saying here? You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's all from God. 
He reconciled himself to us through Christ and now has given to you this same ministry. And he explains it. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, the gospel, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he's saved you and he's now given you this mystery and this message and this ministry to go and give to others. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And because I don't always like where chapter breaks are, and here's one example, the very first verse of the next chapter, the very next statement is, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Working together with him. So we are co-laborers with Christ. We are working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What would that look like? To receive the grace of God and then just go on about your life. Just go on about your business. To take that gift that you've been given and to bury it in the ground. And when Christ returns, to just say, oh, here it is. I was afraid I'd mess it up. Sound familiar at all? Jesus told a parable of a talent where a master goes away and he gives one servant five talents, another two, and another one. When he comes back, the one with five talents went and he doubled it and he presents 10 and the master says, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And the next one had five and he doubled it and he brings, or the next one had two and he doubles it and he brings four to the master. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. But the third one who was given one talent basically said, I was afraid. I was afraid I'd mess it up. I was afraid of you. So I just buried it. Here it is. And the judgment that is made on him is harsh and is terrifying. And it is true. God has reconciled himself to all creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If he has rescued you with that, he has entrusted it to you to give to others. It is worth it. I mean, ask the question, what, how, what kind of steward are you being with that gift? We talk a lot about stewardship of money, which usually we translate as just be smart, be frugal. But that's not what he's talking about here. What are you doing with this gift that you've been given? Are you being a good steward? Are you given everything you have, reorienting your whole life? Yes, it's hard, but it is worth it. Are you reorienting everything? Are you considering, are you putting everything, every minute you spend through this filter, every dollar you spend through this filter, every ounce of energy through this filter? What would it look like if you reoriented your life right now to devote yourself to the work of the ministry, to being a steward of this gift? And quickly, finally, he says the goal of the ministry, this work that he's doing, the stewardship that you've been called to to be good stewards of this gift. The goal of it is to present everyone mature in Christ. 
He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So this is why he toils. This is why he works. This is the end to which he prays. That they would be filled with all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. That they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What is that? That is maturity in Christ. It just means taking on the character and the nature and being fulfilled in Christ. Being Christ-like. This is important. This is a big theme for Paul. His goal is not to get a bunch of professions of faith, a bunch of people raising their hands, a bunch of prayers in that way. His goal is not to draw a big crowd. His goal is not to raise a bunch of money or to build a bunch of buildings or to get a hearing so that he can, he can be powerful in the Roman government and overhaul the Roman government to, to match Christian morality or Christian beliefs. That's not his goal at all. In fact, he, he spurns those things all the time. His goal is that he wants to present all of them mature in Christ. And he has told you what that looks like. Oh man, what is good? And what the Lord requires of you to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He tells us things like the maturity in Christ will look like someone who values justice, who is kind who is humble. Or as Paul says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Maturity in Christ means that these traits become the norm and that we see people growing into the image of Jesus so that whatever happens around them, whatever circumstances around them, whatever someone does to them or says to them, whatever, whatever illness hits, whatever happens at their workplace, whatever goes on, that their response would be one of humility and gentleness and kindness and love and peace and patience. That we would be people who would weep and desire justice. The people would look at us and say, I don't know a lot about them, but those people are humble and they love people well and they are kind and gracious and generous. I mean, look, it's a little higher bar than just showing up at church or helping people put on a program or getting people on the membership rolls. This is what's called of us. This is what we can be. This is why we can't settle for attendances or programs. This is why the goal is not to get people to show up for church or just to attend a men's conference. It's to present everyone mature in Christ. And in that maturity, you receive more and experience more joy and more peace and more abiding in Christ, more unity with Christ, which will make you rock solid and firm and able to walk any road that God has called you to because he has equipped you for it. It is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples as stewards of this fantastic mystery of God that he has revealed to all people. So that is what ministry looks like. That is service unto the Lord. 
That is what Paul is proclaiming that he has done for them and that they are to do for others. So I encourage you today to consider these things. Am I being a steward of this incredible mystery that has been entrusted to me? And I realize that not everybody here understands, knows that mystery, knows that God has reconciled them. And if you want that and you want to experience those things, then talk to us. Lay down your life and surrender to Christ. And take steps towards that. Start praying. As you go, if you want to be used like this, start praying, God, I want to be used. I I see that I'm a steward of this great mystery revealed by you through your word. Use me. As I walk into Walmart or school or work or my house, use me. And by the way, and then don't expect to walk into those situations in glory. Don't expect a a parade and streamers and be like, I'm just so glad you're here telling me this. You're the best. Don't expect those things. Don't be surprised when the very people that you're loving and laying your life down for and serving end up lashing out against you. Don't be surprised. It's hard. But when you're in those situations, I want you to remember, don't be surprised. Jesus said this would happen. Paul said this would happen. Even Jay, as dumb as he is, said this would happen. And then ask. (laughs) Depends on who you ask. But thanks. Ask for help. Ask for help. That's why we're here. As you're doing this and as you're serving, as you're saying, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if I'm doing this right. I'm trying. I need help. That's why we're here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We're not here to put on programs or events or to entertain you. We're not, we're not here to, to just have you do those things. We're here to equip you for the work of the ministry, which is to make disciples who make disciples. All of us, the elders and all the staff and all the ministry leaders, love it when someone comes to us and says, I've been sharing the gospel with my neighbor and this happens and I'm discouraged or I don't know what to do next. We love it. We may not have a great answer for you. We will pray with you. We will talk with you. We'll brainstorm together. Maybe we will have something that we can share that will be helpful. But that's why we're here. We're in this together. One family to present one another mature in Christ. To be a body that exudes in every arena the grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness that our Father has shown us by reconciling us to himself. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you, God, that you have given us this ministry of reconciliation. You're asking us to work with you. If we really stopped and considered that the God of all creation has rescued us and saved us and has asked us to partner with him in the work of redeeming all people, we would be in awe. God, I pray for us as a church family that we would be united in this ministry. That we would be united in our service of others, our love for others. That we would endeavor and pour everything we have to present one another as mature in Christ. That we would be unified in that. That we would see that we are in this together. That we would rejoice at the work that you are doing. that we would be able to say 
it is worth it. The surpassing worth of knowing you is worth it. The glory that you have for us, the weight of that glory that you have for us is so worth it. God, would you move us? Do you reorient our hearts and our minds around the advance of the gospel, around the ministry and the service of your people to the whole world? Amen.